0: Heavenly Father, we ask that you would not take your word from our ears this morning. We pray that it would not be snatched away by Satan as soon as we have ears to hear it. But instead, O Lord, we pray that you would help us to listen to what you have to say and to put our hope in your law. O Lord, it is so gracious of you to speak to us despite our sin. And so, Lord, we pray that we would indeed have ears to listen, that you would incline our ears towards your mouth and that we would trust in what you have to say. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Amos together after a break for some time while I've been away. And we've come to Amos chapter 5. And if you, recall, if you may not recall who Amos is, as we've had a bit of a break, but he is one of the minor prophets in the Bible, not minor because he is less significant, but minor because he is a bit shorter than the major prophets of the Bible. So he's grouped in amongst 12 prophets, which are termed the minor prophets. And he came at a time when the is- kingdom of Israel was split into two. There was the kingdom of Israel itself in the northern kingdom, uh, and then you've got the kingdom of Judah in the south. And he actually lived in the kingdom of Judah, which was where Jerusalem is, the temple, and most of the people who were still following uh, the, the kingly line of David. Uh, he was from that region and he's gone up to the north and he is prophesying against the people of Israel, those other tribes that have drifted away from following the monarch of King David and worshipping at the temple that is in Jerusalem. And so at the beginning of the book, we see that he tells uh, the other nations that judgment is coming upon them. Then he speaks of Judah and how judgment is coming upon them. And then he's turned the 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 most weight of his prophecy towards the Israelites the other tribes and speaking about the injustice that they've been performing and how God is going to punish them for their sins the way that they've been taking advantage of their fellow man God is going to punish them for that and now in chapter 5 he continues to talk about the sins of the Israelites and here in chapter 5 verse 18 Uh, verse 21, I should say, to verse 23, he really focuses in on the religious ceremonies of the Israelites and what he thinks of those. God speaks to the Israelites and tells them what he thinks of their religious activity. And what does God have to say? Well, he tells them that he rejects what they're doing in worshipping him. We see it in verse 21. It says, I hate, I despise... Your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. God is saying that when you come together, I can't actually stand the fact that you're assembling in my name. And then in verse 22 even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, even though you bring me sacrifices, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. They bring their sacrifices. What does God think of their sacrifices? He has no regard for them. He will not accept them. And then in verse 23, he says, Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, your religious music that you come and you play in my name. I want you to take it away. I'm not accepting what you offer me. Now, why would God say this? These are good things, aren't they? To assemble in God's name, to offer the sacrifices that he has prescribed in his law, to sing songs to him. These are surely things the Israelites should be doing and should be commended for the fact that they are still doing them. What is wrong with what they're doing? Well, the next verse tells us, in verse 24, God says, But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. The problem for the Israelites is, yes, they're taking part in religious worship. They're doing the things that God instructs in his word about how they are to worship him, but they're not performing justice. They're not living righteous lives. They're guilty of what we call religious hypocrisy. They function one way at the temple that they may have. They say that they worship God. They bring sacrifices to him. They sing him songs, but the rest of the time... They are performing acts of injustice. They're taking advantage of their fellow man. It's kind of like the, the good that they do. It's like in a glass of water, you've got this water, you drop a bit of poison in it and it infiltrates the whole of the glass so that it's unpalatable altogether. It's not like with there's some poison in the glass, you say, oh, well, I'll just drink off the top where it'll be all right. No, once you put some poison in glass, it infiltrates the whole thing, and that's what's happened. The acts of injustice, the acts of unrighteousness of the people of Israel contaminates their religious devotion. And so God says, away with it. I cannot stand it. I hate it. I despise what you're doing in worshipping me. Yet the rest of the week you take advantage of your fellow man. Is this a common problem, though? Is it something that was peculiar to Israel? No, it's a common problem all through history. Religious hypocrites are there in every age. And we saw an example of that in the other Bible reading that we had from John chapter 18. We saw there the hypocrisy of the Pharisees as they are organising the murder of the Son of God. And yet what did they want to do? They wanted to make sure that they didn't go into the governor's palace into Pilate's palace because he is a Gentile and if they went in there they would be unclean and therefore they could not take part in a religious feast the Passover they wanted to make sure that they were clean for the Passover couldn't care less about the fact that they just lied and perjured themselves in their religious courts about this man the son of God that they were seeking the crucifixion not just any ordinary death for him that they were seeking the crucifixion of him They were performing acts of injustice and unrighteousness all over the place. But they didn't want to contaminate themselves by entering into the governor's palace, the Roman representative there, because then they couldn't take part in their religious feast and they want to make sure they're taking part in their religious feast. It's a common problem all through history, the religious hypocrisy of men. They take part in religious ceremonies quite happily, but they also take part in taking advantage of their fellow men quite happily as well. And this is the case today as well. Many people come to God's assemblies, to Christian assemblies. They join in the Lord's Supper, our current religious feast that we are commanded by the Lord to celebrate. And they may make many sacrifices of their money, their time, their energy to the Lord's work, to the work of Christendom. And they may sing beautifully, They may sing very well to the Lord and strum on their guitars, which are the modern equivalent of a a harp that is mentioned there against the Israelites in verse 23. It says, I will not listen to the music of your harps. We don't have harps in church today. Well, I've never been in a church that actually has a harp, but guitars, I would say, are a modern equivalent, a stringed instrument. And they strum away on their guitars to the Lord. There are many people who do such things. And then what do they do through the week? They trample on the poor and hate their fellow man. They steal and cheat from others to accumulate wealth for themselves. They're sexually immoral. They fight with their friends and their family, their work colleagues, even with strangers. It's amazing what people can do to a perfect stranger. It's amazing what people can do to their own family members as well. I just heard this week of someone who they parked their car out the front of someone's house. And they got their tires slashed because the person likes that parking space for themselves. Yes, they've got a driveway. Yes, they've got a garage. But they like the parking space out the front as well. And it's been a repeat incident that whenever anyone parks out the front of that house, something happens to their vehicle. So that they learn, don't park out the front of my house. This is the evils and injustice that happens in our society itself. I'm not saying that that person is necessarily a Christian who goes to church on Sundays and then goes slashing tires through the week. But there are many people out there who can commit great evils through the week. Yet on Sundays, they're there in church singing away. Now you may say, oh, well, really bad people couldn't do that. Really bad people aren't interested in religion. Look at the Italian mafia. Many of them are very devout to Christendom. They will go along to church, they'll give generously to the church, But through the week, they're off murdering others. And the money that they offer to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus, as they claim, is tainted with blood. And what does God say about such people? Why is it a problem? Because God rejects it. Verse 21 still applies today, as it applied to the Israelites so many years ago. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. When you come together with other Christians, and yet you trample on God's law through the week, you're not interested in justice, you're not interested in righteousness, then God says, I hate what you're doing. Even if you sing like a nightingale, God calls it noise. Did you see that there in verse 23? Away with the noise of your songs. It's interesting how some people do call noise different types of music, noise. My father used to call the electronic techno music that I listened to when I was a teenager living at home, he used to call it noise. What's that noise that's blaring from your room? He said it sounds like a washing machine uh, going through its spin cycle. He called it noise, whereas I called it music. And you may call what you do on Sundays, God says, music, but I call it noise because of your hypocrisy, because you're not interested in justice. And this is a problem, to have God reject you. Why? Well, God will one day come and judge those people who are religious hypocrites. It's very interesting what God says in verse 18 and 19 and 20. What does he say in verse 18? Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light, These people, these Israelites, are looking forward to the day of the Lord. Why? Because this would be a day when God would come and he would bless his people and vanquish his enemies, that he would destroy those who oppose them, the people of God. And so they say, bring on the day of the Lord. But what does God say? He says, well, you're actually my enemy. By the way that you act, yes, you say that you worship me, but you do not. Your unrighteousness infiltrates all the good that you do. And so it's woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What will the day of the Lord be like for you? Verse 19, it will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. You think the day of the Lord's going to come and it's going to rescue you from your nasty enemies around you. But what's it like? Like you're out and you meet a lion and you run from it and you think you're safe only to meet a bear. And then you think, oh no, and you run from the bear and you get into your house and you go, I'm safe. And you put your hand up against the wall only to have a snake bite you. That's what the day of the Lord will be like for those who are religious hypocrites. They think it's going to be a great day where they will be saved from their enemies, but instead they will be destroyed themselves. They will have a very bad day as they go from one disaster to another. So God warns here religious hypocrites through the ages. He warns them here to the Israelites so many years ago and he warns them down through the ages. And God still warns religious hypocrites today with this passage and we see in the New Testament that God warns religious hypocrites. Jesus himself speaks of religious hypocrites in Matthew 15, verse 7. He quotes Isaiah and he says, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. They worship, but it's in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus warns that they're still religious hypocrites and their work of worshipping him, of worshipping God, is in vain. And then he warns what will happen on the day of the Lord, just as Amos warned what happens on the day of the Lord. Look with me at Matthew chapter 7, page 961 of the Church Bibles. Page 961, Matthew chapter 7. Page 961, Matthew 7. Verse 21. Jesus speaks, he's speaking in the Sermon on the Mount here, and he speaks about how trees should bear good fruit. Good trees bear good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit. And then he says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These people are doing great things, aren't they? They're doing miracles in God's name. They're doing acts of prophecy. They're giving words of prophecy. They're performing many miracles. But what does it amount to? Nothing. It says, away from me, you evildoers. The trouble is, you do your miracles, you prophesy, you cast out demons, but then you do evil the rest of the time. And it corrupts everything good that you seek to do. So what are people supposed to do? What is the message of Amos for religious hypocrites? Well, it's back there in chapter 5, verse 24. Chapter 5, verse 24, we looked at it before page 909 of the Black Church Bibles, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. We're supposed to do right. We're supposed to have justice happening in our lives. And the best way to have righteousness in your life is, of course, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus Christ, all his right work is applied to your life. And so that you are pleasing before God. The good works that you do are supported by Christ and his good work. And the Holy Spirit works in you so that you can actually do good work. It's amazing that just as a few drops of poison will corrupt every good thing that you seek to do, a few drops of Jesus Christ's blood will purify all that you do so that it is pleasing to God, as his righteousness is imputed to your account. And it keeps on coming. I love the image that's given there in verse 24. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. What is the only righteousness that is never-failing? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Even the injustice, the wrong that you do through the week, as Christ's righteousness continues to pour from the cross towards you by faith, it overcomes all that you do. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, could the warning here against religious hypocrisy be a warning we need to hear? We're here this morning and most of us are here pretty much every Sunday morning. We take part in the religious feast of the Lord's Supper. We may even have lunch with one another, stay for a church lunch, be with other Christians. We may offer our money, our time, our services. We may serve in different ways. We may serve as deacons or elders in the church. We may serve on the different rosters as stewards here. We give generously to the church. We pray along with everybody else and we sing the Christian songs. may even support the music ministry here by strumming on the modern harps. And we may long for the day of the Lord as the Israelites did there long ago. We may know a lot about the last days and we look forward to heaven coming. We may know about postmillennialism, millennialism amillennialism, pre-millennialism. We may know which leader of the nations is the Antichrist currently here or the man of lawlessness. We may be able to interpret all the disasters that are happening around the world, the different earthquakes and what that means about the last days and how we're in the last days and it's coming soon and we're very excited about the fact That the day of the Lord is at hand. But we're not actually interested in the righteousness of Jesus that flows on like a river, like a never-failing stream. And we're not interested in justice rolling on within our lives like a river. We have to ask ourselves, we come regularly to church, but are we interested in righteousness and justice? As the Israelites should have been so many years ago. Are you interested in being nice to your fellow man? Something we're trying to do in our home is practice being nice to one another. And why do we pick up on the word nice? Well, I think it's a modern equivalent of the uh, the old English translation of the uh, the Bible, the King James, where it says, "Be ye kind." Um, my mother had a uh, embroidery uh, cross stitch. Thing up in the home when I was growing up, and it said, be ye kind. So I'd see it regularly, be ye kind. And I think a modern equivalent is being nice. And why do we encourage that in the home? Because I think we all know what it is to be nice. We can look at any action and go, was that nice? a nice thing to do? And so I'm encouraging our children, I'm encouraging myself and my wife, we need to be better at being nice. And we need to ask ourselves at this church. Yes, we come to church. Yes, we take part in religious observances. But are we nice to our fellow man? Are we nice? Now you may say, nobody's perfect. Surely it's okay to come to church and stomp on a few toes through the week. But all sin should grieve us and cause us to repent and hunger for Christ's righteousness. We should always be looking at our lives and seeing, is there any sin there that needs to be covered with the blood of Jesus and that I need to confess to him and turn from in repentance? We should never be content with particular sins. We should always be looking that justice rolls on like a river in our lives. I think sometimes we're very much like teenagers who ask the question of how far can I go before it's too far when it comes to sexual relations with those others around me, with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. They ask, how far can I go before God will be upset? Where's the line so I can make sure that I don't cross it? And they want a list of all the activities they can do which are okay. The question is, how far away from the line can I go? How pure can I be? And that's what we need to be asking of ourselves, not just in sexual matters, but in all matters. We should be asking, how far can I go towards perfection? How much can I move towards that command that Jesus gives of, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy as I am holy. Because it may be otherwise that you're self-deceived about your salvation. You're simply coming to church on Sundays, not interested in righteousness. You're just here for the ceremonies. You're happy if the show is top-notch. You like the music to be uplifting. You like the prayers to be majestic. You like the sermons to be inspiring. But you're not interested in any righteousness of Jesus Christ being proclaimed. And you're not interested in the preacher telling you that you need to be righteous with your life. Is there any possibility that you're here this morning and you're self-deceived about your salvation? That you don't ever question your salvation, you don't ever question whether the day of the Lord will be a good day for you, and you even resent the question that you should ask, am I really saved? I don't want you to be on that day, like an employee who thinks he's going to get a job promotion and lives his life as though, yes, it's in the bag. He knows that he's going to get that promotion. He knows he's going to get the better pay and he knows he's going to be able to do greater things in the future. And he doesn't like anyone saying, oh, maybe you won't get it, that he may be passed by. No, he knows he's going to get that promotion. And so he starts accumulating debts based on the income that he's soon going to get takes out loans, buys fancy toys and starts giving favours to others saying, soon I'll be promoted, you scratch my back now, I can really scratch your back in a few weeks' time. I'm going to get promoted. And then he's bitterly disappointed when he gets passed over and he's left with debts and favours that he cannot return is there any possibility that you will be disappointed on Judgment Day? That's my job primarily here at Ramon Baptist, is to make sure that no one is disappointed on Judgment Day. That all of you are people who let justice roll like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream in your life. Both the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but also the active righteousness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because it's going to be far worse then missing out on a job promotion if you miss out on judgment day of the salvation that comes. What does it say there in Amos chapter, chapter 5, verse 18? Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. Verse 20, will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want you to be someone who just comes to church on Sundays and then isn't interested in righteousness. You're interested in the ceremonies, but not interested in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so on that day, it is a day of darkness. These are terribly strong words from God towards religious hypocrites, towards the people who fill churches all around the world. Look what he says in verse 21 I hate, I despise, I cannot stand. Verse 22. I will not accept them, what you bring me. I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen. These are stern words from the Lord towards religious hypocrites. Would they be said about yourself? God won't look or hear or even smell what you do. It's interesting, the old translation King James version verse 21 where it says I cannot stand in our translation there it says I will not smell could be a translation of the Hebrew word there it's hard to know it's like the three senses of God are turned off by religious hypocrites could that be said of you but if we fear God we can also see his love here there's much to be scared of as religious hypocrites. But if we really turn and are afraid of what is said here to be said of us, then we can see the love of God here. We can see his love in the fact that he warns us of religious hypocrisy, that he doesn't just let us go our own way, keep on coming here Sunday after Sunday, year after year, until judgment day comes and we go to hell anyway. He warns us that there's a possibility of religious hypocrisy, and then we see his love in the fact that he provides a righteousness that does satisfy. He provides a righteousness that is like a never-failing stream, that righteousness in Jesus Christ, that all our sin is taken away in him. When I was on holidays, we went and saw a couple of waterfalls down where we were staying because it had been raining a lot. And someone said, you've got to go see the falls because they'll be flowing well. Some of those falls can't even slow right down. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ never slows. It continues to flow to you as long as you continue to trust in him and look to him and repent of your sins. The righteousness flows on like a waterfall that never ends, falling onto your heart so that you are right before God. And you see the love of God in sending righteousness to our hearts in the Holy Spirit that he actually works in us so that we do right before him. So won't we all in this room this morning accept that righteousness and strive to be nice to our fellow man? And then come and do our religious ceremonies. not saying you should stay away from church. No, come to church is good. The question is, are you being nice through the week as well? So that you will not be disappointed on that day. Because God promises that that day will be a wonderful day for those who trust in him, because he will love our religious feasts and stand our assemblies. He will accept and regard our offerings and listen to our songs. If we have justice in our life, if we have righteousness of Jesus Christ in our life, he actually approves of what we do on Sundays. You may sing out of tune badly on Sundays, but God doesn't call it noise because he knows that righteousness is in your heart through Jesus Christ. He loves to hear you sing because he knows that your heart is right with him. And so that day of judgment that he speaks so blackly of there in Amos will actually be a day of light. Be a day of the light of the lamb who was slain for you so that you could be right before God and all the religious ceremonies that you partake of for your life are pleasing to God. And so on that day, he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's come to God in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this warning from the book of Amos that religious hypocrisy is something that we can fall prey to so easily, particularly those who attend church regularly, who sing songs, who take part in the prayers, who sit under the preaching of your word. Oh Lord, we can do all these things and then contaminate our actions by our unrighteousness by the way we treat our fellow man through the week. So, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not being nice to our fellow man. And we pray that the righteousness of Jesus Christ may again be imputed to our account, that his righteousness may continue to roll on like a river and like a never-failing stream in our hearts. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be righteous, to be nice to our fellow man through the week, and then come and worship you on Sundays and give you praise for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.